Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. My guest today is Danielle De La Fuente. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kelly, for having me. Delighted to be here. I want to give everyone a quick little background on Danielle. She has vast experience in peace building and diplomatic efforts stemming from her work at the U.S. Department of Defense and multiple embassies. Her passion led her to form the Amal Alliance. Amal is a non-governmental, non-profit organization that provides displaced and disfranchised children worldwide with social development programs that help cope with the invisible scars of trauma and the learning fundamentals that guarantee them future opportunities to succeed. As a passionate advocate for children's rights to education and to play, she specializes in social emotional learning. Bridging policy and practice, she sits on the advisory board of Boston University's Global Development Policy Center, chairs a G20Y committee, and forms part of numerous international coalitions and UN task teams for early childhood development and inclusive education. Like her work, Danielle's own background is rich in culture. She was born in San Diego to immigrant parents from Mexico and Iran and is a multilingual. She's also lived in four countries. She has her BA in international relations from Boston University and a master's in peace and conflict studies from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Danielle, I want to even mention that you're a kids yoga instructor and a mindfulness educator, which I just find so fascinating. I would love to sort of jump in and just get a little bit more detail on your journey. What led you to start a mom? I love to hear the stories behind this. I'd love to share. So, I mean, as you mentioned, I am a kids yoga teacher, a mindfulness educator, and my previous incarnation, I was working for the U.S. Department of Defense. And I used to make a joke that I was like eHarmony for policy because I would bring countries together and we talk about energy security and water security and we do this over breakfast. But essentially, one of the things that I thought was really lacking in the conversation was people really didn't have these social emotional skills. They didn't have this emotional intelligence. So at the end of the day, we were trying to reach a resolution, but it was almost like people were speaking over each other. So I kept thinking, you know, oh, it wouldn't be great if we taught these communication skills at a very early age, and we wouldn't be sitting here years later in these conversations when the problem already existed. So I went back to school and I did my master's in peace and conflict studies, and I was really shocked to learn that in essence, you know, just because you have the absence of war and now, you know, there's no conflict, everyone just kind of returns to daily life and pretends that there wasn't this trauma and, and, you know, all these things that not only affect the individual, but the community at large. And so a lot of the programs really didn't touch upon this. It was really 
humanitarian aid focused on the basic needs, the food, the water, the shelter, which is very, very important. I'm not discounting it. But at the end of the day, we're individuals and we also need to heal from overcoming these things. So I guess it was a, it was a moment in my life where my grandmother had passed away and I was trying to find a little bit of purpose and meaning in my own life. I was doing my kids yoga teacher training in Greece and a lot of children that had been displaced from war and conflict were living in these tended communities. And really it was shocking to see because you think Greece and you think these beautiful area and you don't imagine just these horrifically impoverished areas with children that are just destitute and don't really have any access to education or any opportunities. And so I just chatted with the kids and asked them, you know, like, tell me about your journey. Tell me how you got here. Tell me what you feel is missing. You know, in the States, we're using mindfulness and kids yoga to sort of do a more holistic approach to education. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, you know, if it's working so well here, why wouldn't it work in a conflict area? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how it kind of began. And then it took a life of its own. Wow. That is just so fascinating that you saw something from this experience that again, seemingly two unrelated situations in your life, but then all of a sudden you realized, wow, when I hear this, it really makes me think this could be an amazing solution. And it's, I also really love the policy view. If we kind of started back at the beginning, how easy or easier would it be? Because we'd already know the foundations for understanding empathy towards what other people's situation would be and how to communicate just those basics on SEL that could really make such a huge difference. But you know, like you said, you see these individuals that are having this trauma and if it's reverberated through a community, I can only imagine. No, exactly. How important are these skills? You know, forget about living in a war zone or surviving conflict, even just in everyday life, you need to really have these bases to be very accepting and just put yourself in other people's shoes and just remove judgment. It really makes for a much better society at large. There's a lot going on that we're not addressing in schools and how, you know, children learn. If we can sediment the right foundation, it's a game changer for the future especially a lot of the children that we deal with, they're unaccompanied minors, you know, their parents wanted them to have a better life. So they put them on a boat knowing that the land that they were on was just so much more dangerous. And most of these children are really struggling because, you know, they're wandering around life on their own. Imagine as an adult, it's hard Mm -hmm. enough, but maybe being a 11 or 10 year old child. And then add to that all sorts of security risks, because if you're sitting in a refugee camp or any sort of settlement and you have absolutely nothing to do, boredom is really just leads to all sorts of other dangers because now you're susceptible to being recruited by a terrorist organization or by entering a life of crime or being abducted, you know, human traffic. There's so many, so many security risks. So one of the things that we really try to do also is mitigate these security risks by embracing the children to have a venue, to have a safe space where they can come and they can express themselves. And so that's also one element that's really important to us. So not just the learning and the skills, but providing them this element of protection and and just a space that they can come and and be almost like a home-like environment. Mm -hmm. 
No, that sounds so nice. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how this all started with the mall and maybe some of the areas that you're actually operating in and sort of what that looks like so that we can picture it for ourselves. I'll give you a sort of a pre-COVID view and then a a post-COVID view. So essentially prior to COVID, we were working in Greece, Lebanon, and Turkey. And we work with women from the community, especially organizations on the ground to small organizations that may not have tremendous amount of funding for these fancy curriculums and big trainings. So Mm -hmm. we empower them, we train their teachers, women from the camps to be the teachers, provide them the curriculum, the materials, and then they in turn impart what we call a rainbow of education. It's a rainbow because imagine it's for children. So you have red being emotions and green being compassion, blue being empathy. And so the idea is that as children go through the different colors of the rainbow, they acquire those foundational interpersonal and social emotional skills. It's a six month program. It's not a one-stop shop. It really works best when it's complemented with other programs. Mm -hmm. So if there's like a really dynamic literacy and numeracy program that like UNICEF is doing or something of that sort, but really just to help children heal and then put them on the track to their most basic foundational education. And so when COVID hit, obviously classes stopped. We were working inside of community centers we really wanted to figure out how we could continue our work. But it's not like, you know, you're sitting in California or New York and, you know, your child has access to Zoom. I mean, in this case, there's very limited devices to begin with. And then even if there are devices, most likely you don't have an internet connection. And so we were trying to figure out what could we possibly do. And It was very clear that this massive problem was going to require a very equally comprehensive response. And so we spearheaded an emergency response COVID consortium and brought together lots of really wonderful organizations from Salzburg Global Seminar to Karanga to Qatar Foundation International and Learning in Times of Crisis. And essentially, we all built on each other's expertise and skills and produced what we named was We Are In This Together. And it was a podcast series. And this sort of happened naturally, dynamically. We were trying to figure out like, what could we do? And, you know, most parents had a phone. And so we thought, okay, well, if you're kind of trapped in a location with no sanitation, no possibility of social distancing and no materials, well, at least you could get like a voice note with some instructions or ideas of different coping mechanisms that you could do with your children. And so it was a six episode series. Um, We touched on hygiene, we touched on all sorts of wonderful themes. And it ended up reaching about 160,000 users within uh, a month. And these are users without internet. (laughs) So so that was absolutely incredible. That is amazing. That's just a huge amount of people. And with those constraints for this group to come together in that short period of time and be able to make that much of a difference. I think the reason we were able to kind of get it out there so quickly was one was we were timeliness. So with the pandemic started in March, we got it out, we translated it in four languages and it was out for distribution by very early April. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think a lot of the very large NGOs were still trying to figure out what they were going to even do. So here we had something, maybe it wasn't the best solution, but it was a solution and we distributed it and said, hey, everyone use it. We just want everyone that we can reach. So about 543 organizations ended up adopting it. And that sort of gave life to something else because at that time, 
was when the UN, especially UNHCR was really trying to figure out what they were going to do with all of these out of school children, because now it's, you know, an emergency within an emergency. Right. (laughs) So it's just compounded. And, and, you know, what do we do? So they had received our podcast. And so we were invited to apply to this COVID-19 challenge Mm -hmm. to present solutions that could basically create an education and emergency prototype. You know, if we went from 80 to top 16 to top 10, and then finally we made it into the finalists and we were so excited. Um, So we were really, really blessed to be able to work with UNHCR and IDEO to build out this prototype. We worked with a tech partner in Dubai, Ustad Mobile, and and essentially created the same idea as the, the podcast, but now made it more dynamic with like a digital workbook and learning management system that worked offline. And so it was piloted in Bangladesh and just concluded in December. How was everyone receiving it? So I'm not a, you know, a big crier, but I was in a meeting a couple days ago and it was our end of the project meeting and just hearing all of the feedback and seeing all the pictures, I was literally in tears. I mean, it was probably one of our most successful programs thus far. Mm -hmm. The kids all kept saying that they wish that they had this earlier on in the pandemic. 97% of the parents noted that the change in mood and temperament in their children was very visible. 16.5% increase in development of social and emotional competencies. I mean, that's huge. It was a 10 week pilot. So seeing that it was so successful in such a short period really makes me very hopeful that if this were to be properly extended over the course of the year, I mean, we could see much more long-term. So what are the next plans for it? Yeah, so we're writing the report in the coming weeks. So we'll have all the jiffy uh, facts and figures to present. And then our goal is then to scale it. So the incubator, which basically put on this challenge is called Humanitarian Education Accelerator. And it's backed by a lot of really great people, like everyone from USAID to DFID to Lego to Porticus. But I mean, really the need is everywhere now. That's what I was going to say. I was like, is this really (laughs) just only for you know, children that are in trauma crisis zones, you think about like the internet, even just in the massive US, there's just so many spots that just don't have it, but across the world, you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, really the way it was designed is to help children transition back into the classroom. So there is in-person instruction, but in very small groups. And we were really, really happy that there were zero infections. None of the children, none of the teachers, no one in the community had any exposure throughout because we were really worried is this going to be something that's going to happen? We were able to kind of prove that in these sort of dynamic small groups and with the activities that we were proposing, everything was contained. And it helps the children go back into school because it's all based on social emotional learning. So it's not, you know, we're not teaching math. We're not teaching science. We're really helping the children overcome what they're living at this point and then be ready to transition back into the classroom. So we're even in conversations now with organizations in Chicago, you know, in our backyard areas that might not have as much connectivity to their schools. So really, we we hope that some governments will work with us to adopt the model as the kids kind of go back into the classroom. But it's really going to be, I think, a case by case, you know, let's see uh, which governments are a little bit more inclined to explore into the unknown since social emotional learning is still a bit not mainstream. 
Yeah. I feel like I agree with you. Last year was just this moment where it kind of got it into the spotlight. And it's what I've focused on with my children, basically within the first few years of finding out my daughter had issues learning at school and it has been a life changer. But I can say that even in what I would refer to as a non-crisis zone, we're all experiencing trauma in our own respects. And even my own children, we've been having trouble. My oldest daughter, who's 12, she is just really struggling with not being in the school environment. And we're so fortunate to have like a lot of virtual capabilities, of course, but she's still emotionally and mentally struggling. So the way we sort of broke it out is we took the five main social emotional competencies that Mm -hmm. Castle names self-awareness and you have uh, self-management, you have social awareness, you have relationship building. Like, let's look at just self-awareness. I think right now, even just being able to name your emotion is something that a lot of people are unfamiliar with because it's people know the common emotions, like I'm happy or I'm sad, but just being able to say, okay, well, you know, I feel... I feel exhausted or I'm I'm actually really irritated and that's okay. So naming it and then figuring out different ways that you can manage that, I think has been a key to the children. And the way we did it was every week they would take their emotional temperature and it was a really cute thermometer. They would kind of like see where they landed on the scale. And then once they were in that emotional temperature, then they would, you know, identify what they were feeling and just having that opportunity to express it, I think is also important because Mm -hmm. if a child is feeling scared and they don't want to mention it, but then maybe somebody else is feeling that same way, you know, it it builds a a bond. Yep. There's something about understanding that you're not alone. Yes. That changes it. It's like that internal sort of like everything just piles up inside when you think you're the crazy one. Exactly. And yeah. And so it's been something really beautiful to watch. Everything that was built into this prototype was based on our original rainbow curriculum. So Mm -hmm. now we have, I guess, the best of both worlds. And then when in-person instruction is ready, I think the world is now more accepting of, Hey, it's time to look at, you know, the whole person, not just different segments of it. Yes. I absolutely love that. So I'm, I'm just curious how you kind of came up with this concept of the rainbow. The simplest thing. So when I realized that there was definitely some intersection between what I was seeing at like a policy level and then working with children, there wasn't a lot of research at the time that linked like early childhood with peace, but it was sort of like an obvious in, in, my, in my book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I wasn't an expert in all things, but I noticed that every organization worked in a particular silo. So it was like they were just doing reading or they were just doing dance or they were just doing, you know, something else. And I kept thinking, well, why why is no one working together? I mean, this is the humanitarian world after all, like, shouldn't we all be (laughs) getting along and working together? And it just made more sense to me because as a child, you don't learn in these different compartments. So I thought, why aren't we all working together to blend it? And this blended approach would just seem more natural and flow. And so I contacted leaders in kids yoga or leaders in mindfulness and leaders in dance and said, Hey, you're really good at dance. Like I know nothing about dance therapy, but what if we were to add it into what we're already doing with yoga, what we're already doing with mindfulness. And so essentially the rainbow was built from everyone's input, all these amazing experts, all these amazing organizations that basically Mm -hmm. contributed their expertise. So when I was trying to figure out 
what we were going to call it. There was a, this intern with us and she was like, well, it's really like a, you know, like a melange. I'm like, yeah. And then somehow it, it came up like, yeah, it's like a rainbow, like an assortment. I'm like, yes, it's a rainbow. So, so that's really how it came about. It was just trying to give everyone the appreciation and thanks that they deserved. And that's sort of how it got named. Wow. How long has Amal been around, by the way? I should have asked that at the beginning. We just turned three. That's really exciting. Congratulations. So do you guys still have a group of various people that you rely on? Yeah. So essentially when the rainbow curriculum was built, I mean, this thing is, is humongous. (laughs) It's about, you know, like 400 pages worth of lesson plans. And so it was written in a way that if you didn't have any background in anything that I just mentioned, If you could read, you could teach it. But the most important part was really the training because, you know, you can't teach empathy if you don't understand what it is. And also there's a very fine line of doing good and doing harm. So we would really just train them as to why we were teaching this, what's the correct manner, how to work with children that have survived trauma, et cetera. And then they had all the content basically already laid out as it's evolved because we get lots of feedback from the teachers and the kids we've adapted. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, in Lebanon, for instance, dance was not surprisingly as successful as it was in Greece, which was kind of ironic because we thought it was going to be sort of like a, a really exciting addition, but yet the mindfulness was like booming. And so we, we tweaked it, you know, to, okay, well, let's, mm-hmm. let's make it more adaptable to this community. Whereas, you know, in Turkey, they wanted a little bit more of like teamwork and sort of goal setting. So then we tweaked a little bit more and added more games. So it's really evolved mm-hmm. a lot. And I think the reason that it's been very easy to apply is because it's contextualized and localized to whichever community that is using it. And so, yeah, we were actually really fortunate. I have to brag. In December of 2019, we were named as the most promising holistic practice at the inaugural Global Refugee Forum. So that was like a huge honor. Yes. And then of course the world stopped, you know, three months later, but. (laughs) Right. Well, you got that in there first. (laughs) (laughs) So I, just to make sure that I understood that correctly. So you take this like whole huge rainbow curriculum and you'll sort of like tweak it depending on the location or the group that you're working with. Yes. And so the, the pilot, by the way, that one that we produced in COVID it's called colors of kindness. So it was renamed because the rainbow curriculum does do reading and writing and all sorts of other things. Whereas this was specifically social emotional learning. So, and we try to continue with the whole idea of colors. And I think it's great. And I think so like appropriate for right now too. You just reminded me too, the temperature taking of your emotions and sort of these colors. My son is in virtual kindergarten and he does that at the beginning of each day. They talk about being like, are you in the green zone? Are you in the red zone? I love the way that she describes it. Like the red zone isn't only anger. It's like, if you're really excited, if you're really frustrated, if you're really tired, there's multiple things. Like our emotions are just so complex. That's the thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like sometimes you think you're feeling one thing, but when you kind of take a little time to really reflect and you're like, oh, actually, no, it's an underlying emotion. And this is just how I'm perceiving it. Yeah. I really just love everything you're doing. So if there's other organizations that end up listening in and they're interested in working with you all or somehow collaborating with you all, I'm I'm trying to think of like the various ways because immediately when I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, oh, wow, what if someone else wants to take your colors of kindness and bring it into another community or somehow wants to collaborate with you or any of the other ones? Because I think 
there's a lot of options here. Do they just contact a mall or do you have like various options of the way that you work with organizations? Yeah. So, I mean, typically I I feel like this past year has been so different. So we're open to anything and everything now, (laughs) Um, you know, or I I feel like, please just contact us. You know, our goal is to reach as many kids as possible. And like I said, I mean, the need is, is there everywhere, pretty much you name a location, a community, a country, it's there. So currently our content for Colors of Kindness exists in English, Bangla, and in Rohingya, but it exists in these formats and can be very easily translated. So I'm happy to work with anyone really that wants to adopt that or our rainbow of education, because I do think moving forward, we're going to be in this limbo a little bit more to get the children to catch up before we can really get into the actual learning aspects of you know, going back to, I don't know, science and, <laughs> and history, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Well, you know, and the interesting thing I think about with this is, of course, you've created this for children, but I also wonder, there's so many organizations out there right now that are thinking of this mindset and culture shift in the workplace. And like you said, you saw it initially in your policy work with adults. So I even wonder if what you've created could be a collaboration with an organization that may be trying to put together various modules for workplace training. I kind of wish we would start our meeting sometimes with like, okay, temperature check of emotions in the room, people. (laughs) Taking a deep breath, right? Like, because it really changes how you approach whatever the next thing that you're doing, if you all just sort of like have that moment. (laughs) Well, and it sets the tone, really. We actually just had a board meeting last week and we're discussing that because even though we designed it for kids and yes, we're playing and drawing and singing and dancing. I mean, it's the exact same thing that can be taught to adults. It could very, very easily be used for adults in any corporation, even in the private sector, not even just an organization. You know, I I don't like to stretch ourselves too thin. I'm very cognizant of the fact that we do early education and we do psychosocial support and social emotional learning well with kids. But I do think that given our expertise, you know, if any corporation or anything wants us to consult and give them tips of how we've done it and how they can structure it. And if we can do it in a, you know, in a conflict area in a Bangladesh, it can be done pretty much anywhere. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we're happy to support and, and help where we're needed. That's wonderful. Well, that's really good to know. And I'm about to let everyone know where to find all the information, but I'd love to give you that last moment to sort of open-endedly leave us with your parting thoughts. Oh my, our parting thoughts. Okay. Well, because uh, we're talking about skills, baby, you know, I think the COVID pandemic obviously had so many challenges and we have to make note of that. But I also think it was a real opportunity to reimagine how we learn and how learning can take place anywhere at any time. And that includes all ages. So from your earliest years until your late age, I mean, I'm always learning. And so I think if we can embrace that and see that as a real opportunity and say, okay, well, our education systems were forged in the 18th century and really need a revamp. And And, you know, what are our children really learning or where do we want to be in four years? What do we want to see in our next generation? I think it's really peak time for us to make those policy changes to advocate, be ambassadors for this opportunity. So I welcome everyone to advocate with us and, and hopefully we can 
make it more promising tomorrow. So well said. I love it. Thank you so much again, Danielle. Uh, you can find the Amal Alliance at amalalliance.org. They are also available on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And Danielle is available on LinkedIn. And she is also on Instagram at Danny, D-A-N-I underscore De La Fuente. Danielle, thank you again. I really- no, thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.